kboo.fm. Please go online, click on the donate button and become a member or increase your membership or give a gift of a membership to somebody that you think would enjoy what KBOO has to offer. The the other thing, too, is that it's important to remember that when you uh, become a member of KBOO, you are investing in your community. You're not just doing a warm, fuzzy thing. This is an investment. This is an investment in independent journalism that isn't beholden to anybody else's interests. This is an investment in music programming that's curated by human beings, not algorithms. This is an investment in your community. We think that's worthwhile, and we think that you think that's worthwhile because you're listening to us right now. So pick up the phone. What's that number? 877-500-5266 or online at kboo.fm. FM, that's 877-500-5266. KBOO.FM. Thank you to everybody who's joined so far or renewed so far. And if you haven't, now's the time. Thanks. KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio is proud to co-sponsor the Danny V. debut EP release on Thursday, April 26th from 8.30 to 11 p.m. at Mississippi Pisa in Portland. Singer, songwriter, and musician Danny V. is throwing his debut EP release party. Also performing will be Salvatore Manalo and Kea on the Mountain. Again, that's the Danny V. debut EP release on Thursday, April 26th from 8.30 to 11 p.m. at Mississippi Pisa. 3552 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. I did it in my childhood, you know, kicking that dirt. Hi, you're tuned to KBOO Portland, your non-corporate, listener-supported community radio station celebrating our 50th year. I'm Stephanie Potter. This is The Recovery Zone, a show focused on healing our world. My guest this month is Andrew Keene, who's already written three books warning us about the dangers of the internet, but his most recent book is about solutions. How to Fix the Future is all about ways to reset the digital world with humanity and our needs as humans as the center and basis for it. The book is engaging and provocative, and it's also being offered as a gift as part of our KBOO membership drive. So, Andrew, I just want to say welcome. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Sure. To start, there's a lot of issue with trust uh, during the election, fake news. Recently, we've heard about the Cambridge Analytica scandal. What do you have to say about trust and the Internet? Well, some services and products and apps are more trustworthy than others. Some companies are more trustworthy than others. Uh, so we're ambivalent about many of our, much of our data online. But the notion of trusting the internet, I think, is like saying, well, do you, do you trust all newspapers or do you trust all media? And so it's not really a matter of trust. It's a matter of who you can trust. Yeah, well, some, some services are better than others. You know, I, I think that the, uh, the great scarcity, particularly in America, is trust. Uh, so in my book, I travel around the world and I find societies where trust is much higher, in Estonia, for example, or Singapore. I think the problem isn't with the Internet. The problem is with our sense of who we can trust. And the problem is as much with ourselves as with external agencies. If we trust nobody and nothing... Uh, that uh, sort of that that shrivels us down, and 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 that explains why we all feel so isolated and vulnerable. But can't blame the internet for that. The internet's just technology. But another issue, um, I think, also with the internet is greed. I remember back in San Francisco, uh, early days of Silicon Valley in the mid '90s, seeing these billboards on the freeway to Palo Alto. The billboards actually had things on them like "greed is good" or money can't buy happiness, in quotes, yada, yada, yada. And um, now we have these multi-million dollar winner-take-all tech monopolies. Well, it's, it's not multi-million, it's multi-billion dollars. Multi-billion, Five yeah. Most highly capitalized companies in the world are all tech companies, West Coast companies, Apple, Amazon, um, Google, Facebook, and Microsoft. So um, I think you're right. The troubling inequality, I assume most of your listeners would agree on this, the troubling inequality, which is becoming wider, more and more dramatic, is 
increasingly bound up with our digital economy. It's a winner-take-all economy in which a tiny group of technologist investors are becoming amazingly rich. Uh, the disappearance of the middle class and everybody else is uh, sort of unpaid, unlabored. But again, in my book, I make it clear that this doesn't have to be the case. In Europe, for example, there are a series of laws being passed which um, try to punish monopolists like Google or illegal monopolists like Google, which try to create a more level playing field, which will enable more startup entrepreneurs. So the issue isn't really whether greed or not is good. I'm not against entrepreneurs and innovation. And in fact, I think they're central in terms of fixing the future. We just need a, a level playing field so that they can compete against these huge companies now. In, in your book, you actually take a very historical perspective on all this. Um, could you just talk a little about that, like how it was in the Industrial Revolution and how you see sort of maybe how it should be now with um, the digital revolution? Yeah, I mean, my argument is that um, we're living through a time of sort of in, in some ways increase, um, equivalently dramatic structural change at the middle of the 19th century with the Industrial Revolution. The digital revolution is changing everything, how we work, who we work for, um, how we identify ourselves, how we relate to government, uh, wealth and poverty. And just as in the Industrial Revolution that changed everything, it took a generation for things to, for many of the big problems to be solved, and not all the big problems have, of course, been solved of industrialization, particularly in, in, in the environmental area. Um, but as I argue in the book, the Industrial Revolution got fixed, or many of the biggest problems of the Industrial Revolution got fixed with a, with, a, with a combination of innovation and regulation, consumer demand, consumer power, citizen engagement and education. And we need to use the same five core tools, pots, whatever you want to call them, to fix the digital revolution. There is no app to fix the future. There's no simple solution to many of our most troubling digital woes. And you see that, that if we don't fix it, it could just really go off the rails. Yeah, we have to fix it. I mean, that's what we do as human beings. We break things and fix them. We have to fix the issue of data. We can't have a faceless, multi-billion dollar companies owning all our personal data and enabling third-party companies to use it in ways that are often disreputable and sometimes illegal. We, we can't have a, a future in which no one will have jobs because everything will be done by smart machines. We can't have a world where everything is an echo chamber, where truth is undermined. We can't trust anything or anyone, uh, and we don't know what to believe. Uh, all these things are essential uh, to be fixed if we're to have a decent society. So, yeah, these are not things that we can ignore or avoid. And, uh, and with the scandals around Facebook and the issues of Uber and the challenges of smart cars and the way they're going to replace all the jobs of drivers, these things are, are real. They're not imaginary. I'm not, there's no hysteria here. And as you said, there are places like in Europe where they are starting to address some of this. Um, but one well, Europe tends to lead on the regulation front. So America usually follows, and they're beginning to follow now. America usually innovates, uh, you know, leads on the business front and often on the technological front. But uh, Europe is, is the pioneer, I think, when it comes to creative, responsible, innovative regulation. Reining things in. And I want to get to that. Um, but one... One last little thing here in the beginning. Um, you wrote about a conference in Berlin where Edward Snowden appeared on a screen and said that in giving up our privacy, we are giving up our own sense of agency. And um, could you just explain how this is so and what makes it such a problem? Well, agency is essential to what we are as human beings. That distinguishes us from other animals, and it also distinguishes us from smart machines. Uh, when we give up our privacy, when everything is known about us, um, we don't really have any independence. We don't have any autonomy. Privacy is the thing that def defines contemporary individualism, the, the individualism of a democratic society, of a free society. So agency and privacy are intimately bound up with one another. And agency is the kind of meta theme that drives the book. My argument 
in how to fix the future is, is the way to fix it is to have agency. And the problem at the moment is many of us don't feel we have agency. Many of us feel powerless. Many of us feel that these huge companies and huge forces are dwarfing us. And as always in history, this is the same in the Industrial Revolution. Only we can fix our own future. We can't expect somebody else to do it. We can't expect it to be done simply by government or, or by technology or machines. It's up to us. So agency is, is the solution. It, it's both the sort of medium and the message of the book. And the agency is basically getting us back to our own humanity is how I was seeing it, too. Right. So that's the argument in the book. And in fact, um, in, in the uh, English edition of the book, there's a subtitle, How to Remain Human in the Digital Age. <laughs> that's great. <clears throat> Americans didn't have that subtitle. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, I, I want to let people know you're listening to Andrew Keene here on The Recovery Zone on KBOO Portland. He's talking about his book, How to Fix the Future, or How to Fix What's Broken with the Digital Revolution. And as part of our membership drive, the book can be yours. And now we have some guests who want to talk to you about supporting KBOO. That's right. We are here to talk to you about supporting KBU and picking up a copy of Andrew Keene's book, How to Fix the Future. Good morning. My name is Liz. And my name is Dan. Hi. And we're here to ask you to become a member during our spring membership drive here at KBU 90.7 FM or KBOO.FM or call us toll free in the lower 48 states at 877-500-5266. Andrew Keene was just talking about the fact that a lot of us felt that we've lost our agency or we've lost our sense of personal power. That is a perfect tie-in to what we're talking about here. Becoming a member of KBU is a way of creating your own personal agency and a way of increasing communal agency um, by supporting your independent community radio station. it's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling of, isn't it great that we're all standing together and keeping KBU on the air? It's about making sure that KBU remains the amazing and unique and irreplaceable community resource that it has been for the past 50 years. And the way to do that is? Give us a call at 877-500-5266. Check us out online at kboo.fm. What was that again? K-B-O-O dot F-M. Wow, I'm slurring my words. I'm so excited. No more gin for you. Because I want this agency. I I want to have some effect on the future and the present. And you can do that through KBU by making your pledges, your donations, by being a volunteer. All of our program people, the, the people you hear on the radio, we're volunteers. We're part of the community. You're part of the community. Please join us, and if you do that in this next hour, uh, and make a, a minimum of a, a $60 pledge, which is $5 a month. You, you can pick up a copy of Andrew Keene's book. How to Fix the Future, yeah. and, and, and in fact, just by making the call and donating to KBU, you are helping to fix the future by spreading your agency, by letting us know what type of programming you want to hear. That's right. Uh, we only have a limited number of copies of Andrew Keene's book at that $60 level of membership. So if you're interested in it, now's the time to pick up the phone. Make sure you get one before they're gone. 877-500-5266 or online at kboo.fm. We, uh, we've done some research here at KBU and we've learned that we have about 80,000 active listeners who tune into KBU for our various programs, but only about 6,000 of those listeners are active members. Not, not, not all 80,000? Not all 80,000. Not even 60,000? Not even. Imagine that. So Less so, than 10%. That's You said it was 1 in 15 people yes. who are listening are members. So we would like to up that ratio a little bit, and now's the time to do that. If you have been a member in the past and you're not sure if your membership is current, now's the time to check in. If you you are currently a member, you can increase your membership by any amount that you think is worthwhile. 877-500-5266. Or if you're a member and uh, you'd like to share the amazingness of KBU programming with a friend or loved one, you can give a gift membership. 877-500-5266. Or online at kboo.fm. Be part of our community. You can listen to the radio cable anytime and say, I'm helping 
that be transmitted. That's I'm right. I'm a member. I'm helping. That's right. If Also, the other amazing thing, uh, this is a relatively new offering that we just started a service uh, just a few years ago of archiving all of the audio that we broadcast on our website. So that means that if you came in just now and you missed the beginning of Stephanie Potter's interview with Andrew Keene and you'd like to hear the whole interview, you can go to the Recovery Zone website at kboo.fm. And as soon as this show is over, the audio for this show will be posted there in perpetuity, and it will be archived for your listening pleasure. And you can listen to it anytime you like at your convenience. So uh, you no longer have to set your watch by a particular hour of the day in order to make sure you don't miss your favorite radio programs. And this is a, a relatively new service. We've only been able to do this in the last three or four years. And we know that people are really making use of it. Uh, more than half of our current listeners are listening to us online. And whether they're listening to us live or listening to us archived, doesn't matter. You guys are listening to us online. We appreciate that. And we know that you appreciate it because you're using the service. So show your appreciation right now. Pick up that phone and call 877-500-5266. Or again, if you're online, kboo.fm. That's right. I want to give my appreciation to Albert, who just called and is a new member for KBOO. Where's he from? Can be. Can be. He Let's can. Hear for he can be a new member. That's from right. And so can you <laughs> be a, a new, new member. member. Pick up that phone right now. 877 500 5266. Or kboo.fm. And once again, that online archive uh, feature is an amazing thing. And if you are. Um, if you have a smartphone, you can download the KBU app and listen to us on your phone. So you can take us with you when you go running or doing uh, your workout at the gym or wherever you happen to be listening to us. Uh, whatever's convenient for you, you can listen to KBU anytime, anywhere. Uh, but these services don't come for free. It does cost us money to do this. And so if you appreciate the kind of expanded online services that we're offering, show your support right now. 877 or online at kboo.fm. Thanks so much. I'm Stephanie Potter, back with Andrew Keene, author of How to Fix the Future and Put Humans Back at the Center of the Digital Revolution. So, Andrew, you mentioned Estonia, and um, you actually traveled there and talked to a lot of people there. Estonia really fascinated me. It sounded like a place where they're doing a lot of innovative stuff. Um, creating yeah, Estonia is an amazing country, uh, just a pioneer on lots of levels. They're putting all governments, uh, firstly, it's, it's, I think it's the most wide or one of the most wide societies in the world. It's full of innovation and entrepreneurs. Uh, Skype was founded there. Kazaa, a number of other popular um, websites and, and applications. Um, What's interesting, though, about what's particularly interesting in, in, in my chapter on Estonia is the way in which um, not only is Estonia putting all its services, the Estonian government's putting its services online, everything's being digitalized, but the Estonian government are fashioning a new kind of social contract between government and citizen, one of openness, where the government will have a lot of our data, but when they look at our data, they need they have to notify us. So uh, what's interesting in that sense is in some ways, some of our privacy may be undermined, but we still remain powerful as individuals. We still have, we still are able to know when people are looking at our data and why they're looking at our data. So it's that mutual accountability, which is of course absent with private internet companies in the US. We have no idea what they're doing with our data. They never notify us. And it's also absent in sort of digitally authoritarian regimes like China, where the government has all the data, looks at it, and punishes people who do wrong and rewards people who do right. But the individuals don't really have any power. So Estonia is a positive model for a digital democracy in the 21st century. Also, there's, there's, it's a system that somehow guarantees trust um, with digital integrity because it can't be tampered with. I mean, you're notified. Yeah, you're not allowed to tamper with it. You know, in Estonia, it's it's chicken and egg in terms of trust. The level of trust is much higher than in in the U.S. or the U.K. or many other advanced democracies. Um, It may be because of Estonia's unusual history. They became independent from the Soviet Union in 1991. 
And so they sort of began again. And what's interesting in Estonia is people trust the institutions of government enormously. They don't trust the political parties as much. Uh, but it's that trust which I think has been built into the new digital system where government just can't leverage our data. They can't spy on us without us knowing. So I have a sort of a, an anecdote in the book. One of the people I interview, one of the architects of this, was driving to Tallinn, which is the capital of Estonia. Um, and he was notified that the police were looking at his car records. Um, so he did some research and he found that um, I think his number plate may have been out of date or his license needed updating. But you know what's going on. That's the key. It's not that the police should look at your data because the police have a right to look at their data if you've broken the law or there are problems with your car but that you should be notified. And I think that's a really important distinction. Right. So he actually saw right then in that moment that his data was being looked at. Exactly. Yeah. And I I think we have to acknowledge that data, the so-called new oil of the digital economy, that defines us. And governments and companies will want to look at our data, sometimes for legitimate reasons, sometimes less so. We just need to be notified. We need to be empowered. That's the challenge. And that's where I was encouraged with what's going on in Estonia. The European, the EU, is also passing a series of laws which will empower us in terms of our data, creating what they call data portability through the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, which is an important law, which, again, I think is pioneering new kinds of legislation which will eventually end up in the U.S., yeah, I, I totally want to talk about that. But just one more thing about Estonia. Um, it seems that there's um, somewhat less privacy. And they also have a kind of an identity system where people can't actually hide behind a fake name. Right. Everyone has an identity. And you know, for some people, libertarians, they might be troubled by that. Um, but everyone is accountable. I think one of the problems with the online world, particularly in America, is that anonymity is still rife, which allows people to hide behind aliases and fake identities, and which has, of course, allowed cheats to rig the system, to uh, cheat, to fix the system. So I think, again, in Estonia, there, there is a need for accountability, and I don't have a problem with people knowing who I am. If I post a comment on a newspaper site or on a social media network, I shouldn't be able to do it anonymously. I mean, when we're, we're driving around, um, we, we take accountability for our behavior, and the same should be true online. Now, I understand some people will say, well, what about whistleblowers? And, 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 and that is a legitimate argument. Um, but I, I think that uh, anonymity is, is, is in some ways the real core reason why there's so little civility online. People are amazingly rude to other people in terms of racism or sexism or just ugly kind of language because nobody knows who anyone else is. And just the hostility and the antisocial behavior, it's not going to happen in a public cafe, but it happens on the Internet. Exactly. You wouldn't go up to someone, uh, even if you didn't know them, in in a a cafe or on a bus or an airport and say, you know, I think you're an idiot, you know, or what you're talking about, and using obviously much stronger <laughs> language than that. But that's what people do all the time online. Their, their mode of discourse, their lack of civility and respect is, I think, rooted in the fact that they can get away with it. They're not accountable for what they say. So again, I think um, whilst anonymity is essential, particularly in authoritarian societies, I understand that. But in a democratic society, I'm not sure that one should be allowed to be anonymous online, particularly if one wants to contribute to the discussion. Of course, you can can be anonymous and not say anything, uh, and no one needs to know who you are or where you're going, just as that's true in, in a city. But if you're going to talk to people, if you're to engage in discussion, if you're going to contribute, then I think you have to take responsibility and be accountable. Okay, so I want to just let listeners know um, I'm speaking with Andrew Keene, author of How to Fix the Future, a book that's being offered as a gift as part of the KBOO membership drive. 
This is The Recovery Zone, a show focused on healing our world, and we have some guests now who want to talk to you about supporting your community radio station, KBOO Portland. Good morning, KBOO listeners. I'm Dan, and I'm here with... Liz! Liz, and you just heard on the radio less than a minute ago with... uh, Andrew Keene? With Andrew Keene saying to be accountable, take responsibility, and that's what we will... That's why we're here, to help you take responsibility for KBOO, take responsibility for wide communication of facts and music you're not going to hear anywhere. And how do you take responsibility? Well, just give us a call, 877-500-5266, or contact us online, kboo.fm. We're here for you. We're always here for you with the music and the programming and the news, uncensored and, and free and all opinions honored. But, well, not quite all opinions. Well, all, right. Okay. Well, real opinions. <laughs> all right. Only I know, get carried two, away. Two-legged opinions good. Two four-legged legged opinions, opinions bad. bad. Yeah. Okay. No, we like the four-legged <laughs> opinions as well. I mean, KBU community, call us and become part of our community. Eight seven seven five zero zero five two six six or kboo.fm. That's right. Andrew Keen was talking about taking responsibility for your own personal agency, for what you consume when you're online, for what you allow into your brain and into your heart and into your spirit and we're talking about taking responsibility for keeping KBU on the air we've been bringing you um independent journalism and music programs curated by human beings who are really passionate about the music that they bring you and we've been doing that for 50 years this is our 50th anniversary year that's an amazing record a lot of community radio stations don't last that long and we are really proud of that and we could not have done it without the support of our community members you are a member of our community and we would like you to become a contributing member of our community and you do that by calling 877-500 and when you do at the $60 level you can pick up a copy of Andrew Keene's book How to Fix the Future we only have a limited number of copies so pick uh, pick up that phone right now and call before they all disappear they're going like hotcakes folks 877-500-5266 or online at kboo.fm thanks that's Andrew Keene's How to Fix the Future. Yours for free for as a Not bonus. Not free. Well, no. <laughs> You're spending your $60 for KBU. That's right. And you get the book. You get a thank on you. On top of that. Yes. A thank you prize. Yes. And you are fixing your future. You are helping KBU exist into the future for 50 more years. That's right. If we got four people to become members at the $60 level, that would make our goal of $250 for this show. And we'd be able to give away four copies of this book. I don't even know if we have four copies left. Find out. Find Pick a up the call now. 877-500-5266. Or online at kboo.fm. Thanks so much. Thanks. Uh, I'm Stephanie Potter here with Andrew Keene, author of How to Fix the Future, a more hopeful book than his three previous books because it's talking about ways we can find reasonable solutions to the problems caused by the digital revolution. Um, some of the excesses of the Industrial Revolution they were eventually reined in with legislation, and you were talking about things that are going on in Europe. And um, it's a big tool in your book for fixing our future, regulation. And so maybe starting with Europe again, there is a woman, Margaret Vestager, and she's uh, working as the European Commissioner for Competition in Brussels. And she's really standing in the way of a lot of the monopolies. Could you talk about how she's doing that? Yeah, Margaret Vestager is a former Danish Vice, uh, a deputy prime minister who now is um, the EU commissioner of competition of antitrust essentially and she is the one more than any other single individual in the world who is standing up to the private superpowers of Silicon Valley she was the one for example who fined Apple when they weren't paying tax in Europe and afterwards um Tim Cook, who was the Apple CEO, is the Apple CEO, came out of the meeting saying it was the worst meeting he's ever had in his life. You know, Apple, which has more money than most governments uh, anywhere, um, has been able to do whatever it likes, and, and, and Vestager stood up to him. Uh, she's the one who has three separate antitrust investigations of Google. Uh, and uh, in my book, I have a series of conversations with her, and her argument is that she's doing it not to impose government. She's not a big government person. She's doing it so that 
her values of competition and innovation and freedom for everyone, entrepreneurs, not just uh, the the people who run these multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, She's trying to promote that. So she's creating a level playing field, particularly on the antitrust front. And as I said earlier, uh, what's interesting is that I think she's pioneering this, but increasingly the issue of antitrust is being raised in the U.S. too. This will eventually come, just as we had to use antitrust in the late 19th century to take on the titans of the railroads and big oil and big banks. So now we need it to take on big tech. Uh, big tech is no different from any of the other big sectors of the economy. The problem, of course, is that Silicon Valley has always presented itself as not being big, as being the plucky upstart. Um, and Google has always claimed that it can be good and successful at the same time. They do no evil things, quite controversial. The same with Facebook. I don't think these companies are any worse than other big companies, but they're, they're focused on their own profitability and their business models, which is often giving out their products for free and then selling our data as advertising. Uh, That's, I think, as a business model, is is quite troubling. So we need to get beyond the mythology that these are new kinds of companies. They're not new kinds. They're like any other dominant company, and we need the same kind of regulatory response as we've always had in history. So like you say, their business model is... It's a, a surveillance and to sell basically surveillance, mining data, and then their revenue comes from ads. So do you see like the possibilities for other sorts of business models? Yeah, well, in the book, I, I, I go to Germany, for example. I look at a new search engine called Clicks, uh, which is, is a highly um, sophisticated search engine, as good as Google, but will expand explicitly push back against the surveillance capitalist business model of Google um, and is trying to develop other kinds of business models. Uh, we're going to see it in lots of different areas. I think the, uh, the, the surveillance capitalism is increasingly being revealed for what it is. And I think consumers are uncomfortable with it. No one wants to be watched all the time. What we need to recognize, though, as consumers is we can't have everything. We can't have free services and have products that are amazing and not have any downside. If we're not paying for our services, then ultimately, of course, we've become the product uh, because someone has to make money somewhere and the Googles and the Facebooks of the world are making money through our data. The more we use these products, the more they know about us and the more they bundle up our data in ways that are attractive to advertisers. Um, uh, these are, you know, two of the most powerful companies in the world, and 95% of their revenue is derived from advertising. But um, Germany's also passed a couple of other laws. They told Facebook they had to stop collecting data for, with WhatsApp. Another um, thing that Germany passed in October was to um, Facebook could be fined millions of dollars if they don't remove their hateful or illegal content. So are these working now? I think they are. I think what the Germans are doing in terms of Facebook is really important. These are media companies. They publish our content on their platforms, and they should be liable for that content. In Germany, if someone publishes something questioning the Holocaust or content that is explicitly hateful towards minorities or women, uh, Facebook needs to be accountable in the same way as a newspaper is accountable if one of their writers put something uh, in the in the paper that breaks the law. Uh, the real solution, I think, to many of our digital woes is treating under law these companies as media companies. And the Germans are pioneering this. I think it's extremely healthy. And, and the only way in which these companies will respond is by fines. If you just tell them, well, you've got to improve, you've got to grow up, you, you need to take responsibility, they're not going to do anything. But if you say, if you don't do this, you're going to be fined 10, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars, then they will change. And the Germans are proving that. That's why you need a sort of an ag- aggressively punitive, in financial terms, an aggressively punitive regime. Otherwise, nothing changes. The amount of times Mark Zuckerberg in the U.S. has been 
dragged before committees and asked, and he always promises, oh, we're changed. We've realized we've made a mistake, and nothing ever changes. So they have to be treated as, as media companies. They are media companies. Uh, and in, in the U.S., there's this thing called the Safe Harbor Law, which was passed in the 90s as a way of um, sort of protecting small internet companies. Uh, but today, the Safe Harbor Law, which allows these companies not to be liable under law for the for the content that published on their on their platforms, is entirely out of date. So I think that's a law that needs to be critically evaluated. Do, do, should should media companies uh, have uh, have advantages under the law over newspapers which are in crisis or television stations? I don't think so. I think they. They, they shouldn't have stricter laws, but they should be accountable under the same laws as newspapers or magazines or television stations or radio stations like yours. We're not allowed to swear, you told me uh, in the introduction. Yeah, certain kinds of words. Uh, now, I'm not saying people shouldn't be able to swear on the Internet, but, uh, but, but again, imagine if they couldn't. Imagine if every time you swore on Facebook, um, Facebook was fine. Uh, that's what being accountable under the law as a media company is all about. So editors and fact-checkers and things like that, they need to be hiring them and paying them, as Absolutely. you Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, Facebook will say, well, we, we can't afford it. They, these companies discovered the holy grail. They discovered the means to become media companies without having to pay editors or, 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 or fact-checkers or journalists. Um, we have become the content creators on these platforms. We're not paying for our content. They they realize all the revenue, um, and they're not accountable under the law. So there needs to be accountability. Um, and I think we need to be accountable too, as I said earlier, for what we put on these platforms. We may not be professional journalists, but the nature of technology has meant that we've all acquired the same means to distribute our ideas, to articulate what we think. And I think in some ways we need to be as accountable as someone like yourself as a professional journalist or myself as a writer. And if I started publishing offensive stuff in my books, the books just wouldn't be published. My publisher would withdraw. And, and my books, there's always errors in books, everybody knows that, but my books are generally free of errors because I have a team of editors working on making sure that, 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 that it was accurate. We need to do the same thing online. And it creates jobs, it's valuable. Um, why else would you go to the journalism school? What else are kids gonna do if there aren't any jobs for editors, if there aren't any jobs for journalists? Well, another thing here, um, and I wanna talk about innovation more too, but. You did mention the general data protection regulation, and that has some things in it like um, the right to be forgotten. They're saying that it's going to create more innovation. Um, could you talk a little more about that law? It's an interesting, and it's a major um, initiative in the EU, which came through this, which has been formalized this year. I think it will be in May of this year, um, in which uh, companies uh, will become. Uh, legally responsible for making sure that consumers understand how their data is being used and understand that the data that they produce on these platforms become portable. Um, the right to be forgotten law is part of this, but it was also implemented earlier. It allows people to force search engines, particularly Google, to take down content uh, on the search engine to block content on the search engine which is supposedly wrong or offensive um, so it allows us to sort of shape the search engine according to our own desires I'm a little more ambivalent about that I'm not sure we should be able to censor search engines so that they suit us uh, you know who's to say whether or not something's true and when it when it when it's connected with you and there there should be laws which we can pull back on in that area people should be able to sue if they're if, if they're just lies being published about you but um i i'm particularly encouraged with this notion of, of of giving power back to the people which the gdpr seems to be trying to do that will allow us to control our data rather than companies own our data and do stuff with it that we have no idea and if we're on Facebook and they have all our data and we choose to go somewhere else, and many of us are, many of us have lost trust in Facebook, 
trying to find other social networks, then we should be able to take our data with it. And, and you're saying that the general data protection regulation is also going to be fostering innovation. And you mentioned something about, for instance, digital lockers. Uh, could you just, how is that going to work? Well, I think what it does is it changes everything, which means that uh, there'll be new companies and services that will allow us, for example, to store our data somewhere, but we're not going to put it in our pocket. So it enables new startups, new innovative entrepreneurs to rethink the data economy and the value. And I think we should be paying for data services. We should be paying for our data lockers. Our data is so valuable. It's who we are, particularly in the digital economy. So I'm encouraged by the GDPR. It won't be perfect. It will need some changes. But once again, in the U.S., I guarantee you, in a few years, there'll be the U.S. equivalent of it. We'll have another name, uh, but already people in Congress are beginning to talk about it. Okay, I just want to um, pause again here to say that this is The Recovery Zone with Andrew Keene. His first three books explored the way the digital revolution has failed us, but his latest book is looking at ways to fix that, how to fix the future. This book is being offered as a gift as part of KBOO's membership drive, and now we have some guests that want to talk to you about supporting KBOO Portland. That's right. We are here to talk to you about becoming a member of KBOO, not just supporting KBOO, but becoming a member of KBOO. And the difference is when you support something, you write a check and um, that makes a difference and maybe you feel good about it and that's great. But when you become a member of KBOO, you're not only supporting us with your fi- with your dollars, you are becoming actively involved in keeping community-supported radio and media on the airwaves and on the internet. Uh, we've been bringing you this kind of programming for more for 50 years is our 50th anniversary this year and we would love to be able to do that for 50 more but we need your help to do it and the way you do that is by picking up your phone and calling 877-500-5266 or go online to kboo.fm dan and as a cable member you get that warm fuzzy feeling every time you turn on cable listening to your favorite music show your favorite news show your favorite Public affairs. Public affairs. That's right. It's all public. Well, it's not all public either. There's no no way to generalize cable because it keeps changing from hour to hour, but but high quality whenever you turn in. Tune in. There's something for everybody here on KBOO. We don't expect everyone who listens to listen to every show and like it. That's not the definition of community radio. It's that there's something here for you that you won't find anywhere else. And because you value it, we would like your support, your financial support. How much do you value it? That's up to you to decide. However, we do have a suggestion. If you value KBOO at the $60 a year level, that will get you a copy as a thank you gift for uh, Andrew Keene's book, How to Fix the Future, that uh, Stephanie was just mentioning a moment ago. So so uh, if you become a member at the $60 level or more than $60, we are going to be so happy to thank you with Andrew Keene's book. Um, we only have a few copies. And we yes, would, they're going fast. They're going fast. They're going so like hotcakes. They're going like hotcakes. Just $5 a month. Yeah, $5 a month, $60 a year. 877-500-5266 or go online to kboo.fm. Uh, you know, Andrew Keene has been talking about the way uh, the digital revolution, the the pitfalls of it, that they have failed us in certain ways. The Internet is a tool. It is a tool like any other piece of technology. It can be used for good. It can be used for ill. We encourage you to use it for good right now by going online to kboo.fm and clicking on the donate button. That will take you to a membership form, and you can become a member. You can pick up a copy of Andrew Keene's book for a $60 or more a year membership. Um, and that's a, a good use of the internet. And so we want to encourage you to be thoughtful and discerning about the tools that you use. Be thoughtful and discerning about the information and the music that you consume. And put your money where your values are. 877-500-5266. Call us now. KBOO.FM. Thank you. I'm Stephanie Potter with The Recovery Zone, a show focused on healing our world. Back again with Andrew Keene a sharp critic of the digital revolution who's written a book to inspire us to fix what's wrong with the Internet. It's called How to Fix the Future. Um, I know in the book, and I know in my own life, um, that addiction is another problem with our gadgets, you know, the gadgets, the social media, the news. And back to innovations, uh, what kind of innovations can help us deal with that? 
I, I think we need, again, there is an element of regulation here, of course, as, 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 as has been the case with other addictive products like soft drinks, fast food, tobacco. But I think the real innovation needs to take place within Silicon Valley at the design level. In my book, I talked to a guy called uh, Tristan Harris, who um, was a, a former designer, um, programmer at, at Google, who now is encouraging all designers and programmers of software people in, in Silicon Valley to, to take responsibility for their work and to sign a, what he calls a, a kind of the equivalent of Hippocratic Oath to make sure that they're not designing products which are purposely addictive. What's come out, Sean, um, uh, 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 Tristan Harris uh, reveals this, what's come out of Facebook is that um, uh, Sean Parker, by the way, the former president of, of Facebook, acknowledges this, uh, is that Facebook was explicitly designing its products to be addictive. So it's as if, you know, soft drinks companies or food companies were purposely designing their products so that people couldn't stop eating or drinking them. Potato okay. chip. Uh, right. And so um, it's as if they're putting nicotine into these digital products. And I think we need more accountability, uh, not only, obviously, for users, but also designers, the people who are creating these products. And somebody like Tristan Harris, who's created a new organization in Silicon Valley, is a solution to this. Uh, products can still be compelling, they can still be fun, but they shouldn't be explicitly designed to be addictive. And so we ourselves as consumers need to start recognizing that, that this stuff is trying to addict us and, and um, take steps to like counteract that too. Yeah, I mean, parents, there'll be a lot of parents listening who struggle with this every day. At what point do we take our smartphones away from our kids? At what point do we allow them to have smartphones? At what point do we um, educate them about it? I have a section on education in which I write about Waldorf schools where screens are not allowed in preschool and at the early stage of schooling. Uh, so we all struggle with this. I don't think that we should be banning these products or banning these services. But just as with certain kinds of food stuff or certain or gambling or, or, or many other things, we need to take control. Otherwise, it controls us. It's back to agency. If we're not in charge, something else is in charge of us. But when it comes to many of the most um, attractive things about life, whether it's drinking a glass of wine or, or eating, um, we need to be in charge. And... Uh, Unfortunately, all too often we're not. And it's, it's, it's a question of us being more responsible and engaged and in control, but also of the companies producing the products and the laws around them. In the book, I talk about the history of the food industry in which you needed not only regulation, but consumer demands and innovation um, in terms of products to go from an economy which produced highly prized, addictive, poor quality products to a world now where food, not all food of course, but where more and more people have access to high quality food. You're in, you're in Portland there. And it's a wonderful city in terms of the quality of food and the affordability. Not just because food is good doesn't necessarily mean it has to be incredibly expensive. But think of why Portland has become such a, a hub for high-quality food. It's not just the government forcing people to do it. It's because you have consumers and innovators who are all demanding and needing the same kind of wonderful products. And, and that's what we need online as well. Uh -huh. um, once again, I'm speaking with Andrew Keene here on The Recovery Zone on KBOO Portland. He's written an important new book, How to Fix the Future. It describes how we can create an Internet that serves humanity as a whole. And a limited number of copies are being offered through KBOO's membership drive. We have some guests here to tell you more about supporting KBOO, and here they are. 
and here I am. My name is Liz, and I'm here to tell you how to become a member of KBU. And if you become a member of KBU at the $60 level or higher, we will be more than happy to thank you with a copy of Andrew Keen's book, How to Fix the Future. And you can become a member. It's as easy as picking up your phone, 877-500-5266. Or again, go online to kboo.fm. The internet is a tool. It's a tool that can serve us or it's a tool that we can end up serving. And here at Cable, we believe that the internet is an invaluable resource for bringing new listeners to our listening community um, and bringing new opportunities for people to access our programs uh, by having our archived versions of all of our shows on our website. Uh, so if you just tuned in just now and you'd like to hear the entirety of this interview, you can go to kboo.fm and look up the recovery zone. And just as soon as the show is over, the audio will be posted and you can listen to it at your leisure. But we also really need your support financially to become a member. All of these resources that we offer you, the online streaming and the archived audio, all of this stuff are expansions on our traditional over the airwaves radio broadcasts. And we're happy to bring that to you. And we understand that more than half of our listeners are now accessing us online. And we think that's great, but it's not for free. We can't do this without your financial support. So now's the time to show what Kibu means to you. Pick up that phone at 877-500-5266 or again go online to kboo.fm. Dan? If you're hearing our voices then we know you're listening but we don't know if you are a member and we would love you to be a, a member. Help support KBU. Help support yourself so when you click that down, listen to KBU, you can say, I'm helping to make this happen. That's right. 877-500-5266, kboo.fm. And, uh, and you might think, well, how much should I give? And it's almost, what is this worth to you? How, how generous do you feel today? The sun is shining. Uh, how about $60? How about $5 a month to help KBU keep going and growing. We, uh, Andrew Keene talks about how to fix the future. At KBU, we get, we're preparing for the future. We're helping you prepare for the future by giving you more information, by giving you joyful music. So please call. Please check us out online at kbo.fm. Or call 877-500-5266. We have just a few minutes left in the hour, and we are close to making our goal, but we need your help. If we get four people calling us before 12 noon at the $60 level becoming members, we can meet our goal, and all of you might be able to pick up a copy of Andrew Keene's book if we have enough copies left. We would love to be able to give all these books away. Um, they are going fast, so please... Don't wait another moment. 877-500-5266. And that's not all. And to sweeten the deal just a little bit for just today, if you call in and make a donation, become a member, you will be entered into a prize drawing, again, just today, uh, for $300 gift certificate from Mississippi Records. I mean, we're talking vinyl. We're talking music. We're talking joy. Yeah. Uh, Today only, so please call 877-500-5266 or online, as half of you already are, at kboo.fm. You know, it's interesting. Being online allows our community to reach beyond the Portland airwaves and become a global network. And we have heard from people who are way, way far away from the Portland area. We Even heard, in Indiana. We heard from someone in Indiana earlier today. Thank you so much for and considering us to be part of your community, even though you're 2,000 miles away from us physically. Or Port Townsend. Washington, Port only a couple hundred miles away, but you know, my family down in California listens to KBU. I'm and I'm really happy and proud to hear that. And all of you who are listening to us online, now's the time to show your support for your online community radio station or your community media station. 877-500-5266. That number is toll free. Or again, if you're already online, you're already there. KBOO.FM. Click on the donate button. That'll take you to a membership form. And we will be so happy to have you join the contributing membership KBOO family. You know, everybody who listens to us is a potential member, but membership comes with an investment. And it's not just a financial investment. It's oh. an emotional investment. You consider this to be worth your time 
because you're listening and you consider it to be worth supporting with your dollars. And our community mandate, our community mission, our purpose for being here is supported by all of you who kick in whatever amount that makes sense to you. We're suggesting $60 a year. If that is, if that's a good number for you, terrific. If you've got another number in mind, that's fine too. $60 or more will get you a copy of Andrew Keene's book. We've still got a few left. 877-500-5266 or online kboo.fm. Now's the time. Show your support. Don't wait another moment. Enter the drawing to win the $300 prize from from Mississippi Records. Join our community and here join and and join our community our KBU community by becoming a contributing member. Thanks so much. Hi. We're back again for just a few moments here with Andrew Keene, author of How to Fix the Future, a book looking at ways to fix what's gone wrong with the digital revolution. Andrew, one of the things that you also talk about in your book, um, we have, we're sort of moving, especially with AI, artificial intelligence, from a proletariat to a precariat workforce. Could you just briefly talk about what that means and what the ramifications are? Yeah, the proletariat was a wage labor force in the Industrial Revolution. The precariat is the class that we're creating today of people who drive Uber cars in the morning, they work on TaskRabbit in the afternoon, and rent out their spare room on Airbnb in the evening. We don't have full-time employment anymore. We can't necessarily blame the digital revolution for this, but the digital revolution is certainly playing a role in breaking up the traditional workforce and in ensuring that we do many jobs at the same time. I don't think that's necessarily bad, but as I argue in the book, we need laws to make sure that the precariat is protected under the law. That they have the same kind of protection as traditional workers. And in the book, I, I look at some of the legal work being done to make sure that, for example, if, uh, if you're sick, even if you're working part-time, you have some rights as a worker. And, and also you mentioned um, universal basic income as a possible way to fix some of this, too. Yeah, the universal basic income is a system where people are guaranteed a, a minimum, it's not a wage, a minimum amount of money to support themselves. I go to Switzerland in the book, which uh, is the first country to have uh, a vote, um, a referendum on whether or not UBI should be introduced. The vote lost, but it introduced the issue of UBI into the public conversation. Uh, I think this may be one thing that we need to pioneer. Uh, it's being developed in Finland and Brazil and Canada and Switzerland, uh, some, some, some parts of America, some VCs are championing it. It may not be a solution, in, a complete solution in itself, but it's one way of fixing a future where no one's going to have work, where you have more and more smart machines doing traditional menial jobs. In some ways, smart machines replacing menial work isn't a bad thing. It frees us. But if we're freed from menial work, we still need a way to pay our rent, to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves. Okay. So UBI is an interesting early experiment in this area. So we do have to go pretty soon here. Do you have any just last thoughts? Uh, last thoughts are agency. The the issue is one of empowering ourselves. Smart machines are great, but smart humans are better. Throughout history, we've always created problems and then fixed them. The way to fix the future is through humans, not through smart technology, not through machines. Um, you've been hearing from Andrew Keene, a keen critic, as it were, of the Internet, and the digital revolution has been talking about his new book, How to Fix the Future. The book really lays out from a historical perspective some of the actions we need to take if the Internet is going to work for us, for all of us. You're tuned to your historically important 50-year-old community radio station, KBOO Portland. This is The Recovery Zone, a show focused on healing our world. And I'm Stephanie Potter. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting KBOO. And thank you, Andrew Keene, for being on the show with us. Thank you so much. That was fun, Stephanie. Okay, take care. Thank you, Stephanie. Bye. Bye-bye. KBOO's prize drawing rules. Everyone who donates will be entered into the drive prize drawings. No purchase necessary to be entered. Making a purchase or contribution will not improve an individual's chance for winning. The daily prize drawing is subject to all applicable federal, state, and local laws and regulations. 
void where prohibited or restricted by law or regulations. To enter, call 877-500-5266 between the hours of 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. and provide your name, complete address with zip code, date of birth, and day-evening phone numbers with area code. Only one entry per person per household per year will be accepted during the drive drawing period. Entries may be mailed with the aforementioned information to KBU Radio, care of Membership Department. 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, 97214, if postmarked by May 3, 2018. Incomplete or late entries will not be accepted. Winner will be determined in a random drawing on May 14, 2018. Winner may be notified by telephone after May 21, 2018. For a copy of official prize drawing rules and restrictions and for the names of the winners, go to kboo.fm forward slash Silent Drive 2018, and thank you. KBOO hosts a monthly film series at the Clinton Street Theater called KBOO at the Clinton. This month, we'll screen the film after The American Dream on Thursday, May 10th at 7 p.m. After The American Dream is an epic tale of survival undertaken by immigrants trying to enter the United States from Central America. This film follows the stories of four people, including a pregnant mother and an immigrant police chief. Again, that's a film screening after The American Dream. Thursday, May 10th at 7 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater, 2522 Southeast Clinton Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO would like to give special thanks to our local community partners who have donated food for our volunteers today. Breakfast was provided by Fresen Bakery, located at 7075 Northeast Gleason Street in Portland. Fresen Artisan Bakery offers artisan breads, pretzels, and pastries in the German tradition, incorporating organic, local, and sustainable ingredients. Lunch was provided by Noble Rot, located at 1111 Burnside Street, Suite 400, Noble Rot has a 3,000-square-foot rooftop garden supplying the restaurants with vegetables for over 15 years. Dinner was provided by Patton Marilyn, a sister restaurant of Produce Roll, located at 5101 North Interstate Avenue in Portland. Patton Marilyn is open for lunch, dinner, and